Brella. Good evening, Robert. I thought you forgot my name then. It hasn't been that long since I saw you. <clears throat> How are you? Sorry I'm a bit late. It's quite all right. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you, Jonathan. You're le- you less angry than you were earlier. <laughs> well, I got myself in a real mood earlier. Like the commute was a pain, and then I got to work, and I had to change desks three times. And then the computer wasn't working, and then there were Adobe updates, and then I had to wait on other people for work, and I got uh, properly, properly angry with myself, which um, kind of stayed with me for most of the day. That mood. <clears throat> However, I'm just opening a beer. Oh. So uh, all is well with the world. It's a pie in the fridge. I'm without a beer. In the fridge. Today. Pie in the oven. You're without a beer. This is terribly remiss of you. Yeah. Uh, I got some wine. Is that, oh, is well. it, is that allowed? Yeah. yeah, that counts. Yeah. Uh, what species of wine are you having? Uh, it's a Pinot Noir. Oh, very nice. I'm having a, a Tom Long Amber Bitter from the Stroud Brewery. All right. Is this part of your pack still? Yes, still... Uh, this is this is a new pack. Ah, so what do I'll you treat... do? Do you do you subscribe to to it? Or... You, don't, you don't have to subscribe. You can just buy one-off boxes of twelve beers. Um, so I treat myself to one, and I treat my dad to one as well. Um, and it's a I've gone for a traditionalist's box. Nice of beer. So it's kind of you know there's nothing too crazy and exotic. It's just a twelve bottles of nice beer. Yeah, so it's much more up my alley. So, do you want to introduce the show? Yes, why not? Uh, welcome to episode 64 of the North v South podcast, the podcast about but not about design, with John Ellerman and Rob Turpin. And uh, let's get this first spoiler alert out of the way. Tonight we're going to be discussing the new Blade Runner film, Blade Runner 2049, and we will be discussing as much about the film as we care to chat about. So there will be spoilers. We'll be talking about the plot, the surprises, um, Christopher Biggins' uh, surprising cameo. Um, so if you haven't seen the film yet... As a pantomime you know, horse. Yeah, yeah. A pantomime unicorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you haven't seen the film yet, don't listen to this show. We'll give you another spoiler before we start talking about it properly. But um, uh, yes. But do go see it because it's good. Yeah, so I'm guessing that your uh, part of your what have you been up to this week was on Tuesday we went met and in Waterloo went to the big IMAX there, Britain's Britain's largest cinema or screen as we were as we're regularly reminded, or as I like to call it, Britain's uncomfiest cinema. Yeah, it really isn't a comfortable viewing experience, is it? No, not really. Not, Not on the normal seats. Not a two and three quarter hour film. No, <clears throat> but it was good. It was good to uh, good to catch up. Yeah, we uh, we went for a, a delightful lunch afterwards. Yeah, we went for a couple of beers, and uh, yeah, all was good in the world on Tuesday. It was, uh, and after that, as you headed home, I popped to the Imperial War Museum, which is not far from uh, Waterloo, and uh, I haven't been there for I reckon fifteen or sixteen years. And it's changed. Well, I couldn't really remember um, any of it. So I think it's changed sort of out of sight, really. Um, But it's very good. Uh, But 
it felt a bit thin. You know, it really concentrates on the First World War, the Second World War, and the Holocaust. And the First World War and the Second World War galleries, they really only get a gallery each. Um, so it's, it's very much a, a kind of a quick overview of, uh, of kind of what was what was going on. So it's, I guess it's brilliant for school kids because there's lots of stuff to look at. Um, uh, the, the displays are great, you know, really interesting stuff and well annotated. But yeah, I think if you've got a reasonable grasp of that period of history, then there's not an awful lot to learn there. Um, but yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, the Holocaust exhibition was stunning. Uh, I don't think that's changed really since I was there last. Um, that's very good, very moving. And sort of tellingly, that's the bit where they've um, given a bit more space to. So they can kind of tell that story in a, a lot more depth. Um, lots of first-hand accounts. And it's, um, yeah, it's very moving. I think they're building, they're, they've got plans to build... Um, another one, and uh, I, I don't know if it's on the same site, um, but a big Holocaust museum, uh, the standalone Holocaust museum, uh, at some point soon. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then I met my wife. We had uh, had some drinks with a couple of friends who were getting married, so it was kind of a catch up and. Steph chatting to them about their wedding flowers. And then we headed home. So that was that was my day. And then I've been in um, Shoreditch the last couple of days, which has been... Yeah, I've been in Shoreditch. Uh, just around the corner from the office, uh, this is very Shoreditch, there's a photographic studio, and I go there for coffee most lunchtimes. And they've turned, or one half of their studio has been turned into a pop-up restaurant um, run by nuns. <laughs> it's called it's called Nundos. I think it's for a reality TV show. Really? So you can go in. You can go in there and have chicken broth made by the Mother Superior, and it's free. So I might pop in there tomorrow. Wow! Yes, it's the, the the TV program. I think is called Bad Habits. What? Oh God! What? <laughs> why are there nuns in Shoreditch? I have no idea. But, well, they're fr- I think they're from Suffolk or Sussex or somewhere. They're, you know, they're not Shoreditch. They're not your East End nuns. Um. Yes, it's all a bit bizarre. It's the, so end, of, was, it's the end of the days. End of days. Well, <laughs> it is, isn't it? it? Really is. Yeah. Well, we did have sort of an end of days feel to the early part of the week, didn't we? Oh yeah, it's been quite orange here, isn't it? Yeah, the, the shadow, yeah. the shadow of Trump is uh, is over the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had the tail end of tail end of Hurricane Ophelia dragging uh, Morgan smoke up from forest fires in Spain, and it, it turned the sky really quite a spooky orange, didn't it? Yeah, a bit like a Blade bit. Runner. It was very Blade Runnerish. Yeah, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> Um, so what's, uh, what have you been doing with the rest of your week, John? Uh, well, I had client meetings at the end of last week 
um, and met some very uh, clever people. I can't really talk too much about it, but what I did uh, experience was a, a journey along the Upper Richmond Road where I used to live. And okay. uh, it took us two hours to go from Putney to Richmond, pretty much. Nice. Yeah, which, you know, I could have done without. And, yeah. um, and it just reminds me why I, we left London. Uh, or that that West London bit of just traffic everywhere. Mm. It really is awful around there, isn't it? It is. Like, it's only a couple of bridges over the river, so that's what causes all of the the mayhem. Yes. Um, so anyway, that was interesting meeting really clever people. Um, uh, clever in what way? Just people who know their own kind of business and field of expertise, sort of inside out. Clever. Uh, yeah, but they they also quite intellectual um, and drew on quotes of things that I had no idea what they were talking about, um, but didn't make me feel small or anything. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're kind of one of them's apparently well known. I, I can't really say much more because yeah. I'll be in trouble. But yeah, very very interesting people, and um, it was real uh, real insight into a small organisation that. Well, really tiny, but there's employed the right kind of people from the off. Yeah. You know, there aren't sort of hangers mm. on or people who, you know, were mates of mates who've been drafted in to be yeah, yeah. the marketing manager, but, you know, actually proper professional people drafted in on short term. And it just shows you how quickly a business can, can grow when it gets the right mm. people on board. So, yeah, I was the, the, the dullest mind at the oh, table. Couldn't uh, you have whipped, whipped out a medieval quip to impress them? Uh, verily I did um, yeah, <laughs> I gave them all bubonic plague <laughs> uh, no uh, so that was uh, that was good um, and uh, Inktober continues rumbles on um, well, it does for you it's it's ground to a halt for me well do you want to talk about that or not really yeah um, yeah. yeah I've just I've just got a bit um, overwhelmed with work and trying to keep on top of some commercial illustration stuff and I've got a couple of commissions that I'm lagging behind with so Inktober has been the thing that's had to take a back seat and I was kind of a bit ill last week I had a cracking migraine and then my wisdom tooth has been playing up so I haven't really been in um, really been in the best frame of mind for slaving away at my desk but so Inktober has I failed for the first time I mean I'm still going to finish it but it just it, it'll be finished in November I wouldn't, wouldn't beat yourself up about it. No, um, I've learned that. I think one thing I've found out is that, well, I, I sort of did it on a kind of whim of building a a, a kind of a, an audience because mm -hmm. um, new business doesn't have any kind of followers, and I don't really have any uh, a, any kind of history in in. Uh, yeah. well, I guess I do have history on people I know, but. Um, I don't live in the social media world, so uh, I don't have any kind of uh, back backstory or anything. Yeah. So part of my idea was to, you know, hit Inktober and get a good following. Well, that has not happened. Maybe you just <laughs> maybe you need to uh, to tweet at very specific people. You know, kind of like I don't know the type museum or uh, linotype or monotype or. You know, people kind of very much in that industry, and just let them know what you're doing, and see if they'll retweet it to to their following. 
Yeah, just, yeah. You know. uh, that's one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I took, uh, what I've taken away from it is that uh, you can't, you just won't know if you stick your thumb out of the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with a destination, you know, written on a bit of cardboard, you actually uh, have to um, have a strategy. And uh, it's certainly something that I haven't applied to it. But what I what I have taken away is that one I love I've loved drawing, um, and uh, yeah, the historical research has uh, unearthed the uh, the pedant in me. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff uh, you do is great. I've really been enjoying it. Oh, thank you, and uh, and I've really enjoyed painting with the new Procreate app. Yeah, uh, it's got sort of wet paints with it now. I I thought that um, Kyle brushes were going to come to Procreate, but uh, I thought that too. He signed up this week to Adobe. The devil. He has. He's taken a bit of a, a kick in as well. Over has it. he? I mean, you can't really blame him. I mean, he he creates brushes for Photoshop for and Adobe. Yeah, I, I know. And, and I thought you know he's he's not going to have to give much. Well, no, what, what's the kicking? I, I, well, yeah, people have just sort of had a go at him for sort of selling out. And people who've you know bought his stuff off Gum Gum Road, I think, are annoyed. Um, but it means everyone kind of everyone that uses his brushes surely are going to get them free now. Yeah, sorry, what the on Gum Road that oh, I've bought? That's where he normally. Well, yeah, yeah but they cost like five dollars. Yeah, they're not expensive at all. Oh, people need to get a life. You know, he yeah. needs to make a living. And if yeah. he's suddenly a, a millionaire overnight, then uh, congratulations to Kyle. Uh, you know, That's he's great because now we're going to get better brushes included in. Well, the brush mm-hmm. manager in Photoshop's been awful for about mm. a million years. Uh, yeah, so, so hopefully he's going to bring some nails to that. Well, I've had a big rumble of uh, Adobe applications came down the pipe today to yes. wiped out all of my previous installations as they as they do. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, you know, um, but also uh, InDesign is is unusable. I've already abandoned it. So, oh, is it? Uh, yeah, as soon as I use uh, um, Eyedropper on anything. Uh, it crashes. Why? What? Uh, what OS are you using? You haven't updated to High Sierra already, have you? No. No, because I, I know there were some issues with that um, and Adobe stuff. But I mean, for God's sake, Adobe! You know, I know you're not listening, but do some beta testing for God's sake. You know, mm. uh, you know when you release a new release of something that that has been in the <laughs> in the public domain for 15 years. It's got to be rock solid, not I guess, an eyedropper uh, crashing it every time. Yeah, but I guess that that's the way they work now, isn't it? It's that kind of, uh, what's it, work fast and fail fast or whatever. But there's you no know, way they, they, th- they put stuff out and, you know, they're going to get the, the feedback immediately and then they'll fix it. Yeah. But, but obviously that should be done before it's released. But they're not adding any features to anything. They're, you know, like InDesign's, it, it has footnotes. Well, oh, oh brilliant. Whoopie-doo. <laughs> Just what I needed. Um no, nobody needs anything else. It's yeah. uh, you know uh, we've we've been and uh, followed this path of subject before, haven't we? Where we talked yeah. about uh, you know what what alternatives are there? I think Mike Sullivan this week was asking what alternatives are there out there because all he uses is InDesign now. Um, yeah. That their XD or whatever it was, Experience Design, is now reached 1.0, but Envision App have just uh, announced a thing called Envision Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming out in January that looks absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a responsive design app. So it's like InDesign for responsive web and wow. uh, application building. And it does look slick. I have to say, mm-hmm. it does look enticing. Yeah. 
Uh, that's not even in my news. I just thought, you know, but yeah, so that, that usual, uh, I think it's every six months now, isn't it? And Seems Adobe. to be. Yeah, so this is, we're on to uh, the 2018 version of CC now, even though yeah. it's not 2018. But can't it just update the one app? Wouldn't Why do we have nice? to have new apps? Yeah. So crazy. But it doesn't delete them, does it? It just, oh, it, it does when you, if you, if you, do, oh, does no. it now? Yeah. If you don't, it always used to leave the all the other stuff installed, didn't it? But you used to automatically right. use the new stuff. It will leave a folder of the previous one if you've got plugins in it or anything mm. that's that's different. The the problem being is that I had 2015 because I got CAD tools and and um I don't want to upgrade because there's yeah. no point. So I've got that version, but it's deleted it, which is mm. well, that's, you know. But yeah, I mean, come on, InDesign is so. Indispensable for people that you cannot yeah. you cannot release that in production ready mode when it crashes with an eyedropper. Yeah, it I, was an issue. It was, it was an issue at work today because I was using a different machine, and the guy who had been using it had his own login for CC, and he was he only had Photoshop because he's a retoucher. So then I couldn't update anything, and I couldn't add anything, and you know, as a studio, they're not updating anything to the new versions until they know all the things have been ironed out, and people have accidentally updated. Chaos, I tell you. Mm. Adobe Day. Yes. Um. So yeah. Uh, So we were going to talk about um next week, uh, social media and how to promote your business, things to do. I'm. I'm I'm struggling, you know. I'm like a uh, a golem. I'm sort of flapping around like I'm like a mud monster in the dark, and uh, I need to um, I need to gen up on it because it is vital to modern businesses, really, uh, especially yeah. if you're an online facing business. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk me through media, oh, social okay. media, right? I'll start next week. up on it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you've put. I've got no news. So do you want to skip straight to Blade Runner, or do you want me to? I've got a couple of stories. Yeah, you've, got a few, you've got a few bits of news. I've got one bit of news, um, but let's go with yours first. Okay, first one is uh, we've been talking about retro and um, nostalgia uh, and all kind of subjects where you know uh, why are people still into LPs when you know perfectly good digital versions are, mm. are available. And um, a camera company, Yashica. I think this has already been done before by another company, but this one is a, a digital film hybrid camera, right? So it's bizarre. This is it's stupid. This is a Shoreditch cereal packet yeah. selling cafes. Um, it's a camera that in order to use it, you have to insert different types of film rolls into the back of it, which make the photo uh take uh you know so the photo has a different style so if you insert a uh you know a black and white cartridge it will take black and white photos so you're inserting an analog kind of i don't know what it is like what is it like an avatar it's like or a little, yeah so you insert like a, a fake film cartridge into a digital camera which then triggers specific settings on the digital camera which mimic the effect of the type of film that you've just put in it. <laughs> yes. That is really weird. And you have to wind you the, have to the, wind the, the film. film on. What happens if you only half wind it? I don't think you get double exposure. <laughs> that would but, be cool. That'd be good. Yeah. But it won't happen, will it? It won't. But that is just stupid. It is I don't understand, really. 
It's raised four hundred and forty thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, Barnum would have loved Kickstarter, wouldn't he? Well, speaking of idiots who buy any old crap, um, I'm going to jump to something called uh, there's a, a thing called Branded in Memory. Right. Uh, have you seen this site? No. Uh, you click on my notes. Uh, basically, uh, you go to signs.com, which is some kind of franchised sign business. Horrible mm. thing. Uh, but what they've got an article in their blog, which is uh, called Branded in Memory. And they've taken 10 iconic logos, as they call it, 156 Americans and 80 hours of drawing from memory. So they've asked 100 odd Yanks to draw iconic American style, you know, high street logos. I quite like this. And they've measured the kind of results that they've got. Now, the thing I really love about it is are the results. Yeah. The stats. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because they spent a long time analyzing this. But what you get from the whole article is there's no reason for this article. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's testing how how memorable, I guess, the the lo- these iconic logos are. Or it's, well, I guess it's testing how well people draw as well. But it has no. Uh, it seems to have no reason to exist other than just measuring a load of logos. So it, it doesn't say whether these brands are uh, whether the, the fact that people recognise them or not whether that makes them more powerful, whether yeah. improving their logos would make them even more powerful, whether not having a logo at all, you know, or, or any kind of complexity to a logo makes a slightest bit of difference. So for example, the most complicated logo is Starbucks. Um, and that's the one that most people struggle with to replicate. But when you look at them from afar with a blurred <laughs> eye, they all look the same, don't they? Uh, you, you kind yeah, of understand they're, them. They're brilliant. There's lots the of octopuses. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun. Oh. It's a fun article. It just it doesn't is. seem to have any kind of uh, uh, of summary of you know of what it's trying to what it's trying yes. to do. There's a lot of work gone into this, uh, but not a lot. You're not going to get a lot out of it, apart yeah. from laughing at some of the some yeah, of the drawings. That's, that's the key thing I'm getting out of it. That's it's it's interesting to see that a logo like Target, which if you don't know, it's like a uh, a red ring and then a dot in the middle, and then Target in what looks like Helvetica uh, is, um, uh, you know, 41, uh, well, a near perfect drawing, a quarter of people got a near perfect drawing of 150. That's incredible, isn't it? It is. It shows you the simplicity of the logo really, really helps. Whereas if you jump to uh, something like Starbucks, uh, what's the results on that? Uh, 6%. Yeah. Ikea is even higher, 30%. Near perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a good article. Uh, yeah, well, it's not a good that. article. It's a terrible article, but it's really, really interesting <laughs> statistics. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily say that any of these things are good. Uh, like, you know, Domino's pizza. Um, uh, if you like Domino pizzas, then um, I suggest you go and eat a real pizza. Uh, my little bit of news is, uh, just very quickly, everyone's heard about it, but it's one of the first uh, stories that we talked about. When I, don't, I can't remember which episode it was, one of the first few episodes, we talked about uh, space and gravitational waves uh, with the LIGO experiment. Um, had its first results not long after we started the podcast. And they've just had their third their third results where they, uh, they observed using gravitational waves uh, the coming together of two neutron stars 
130 million light years away. So they could tell by the, the faintest ripples in in space time that these two neutron stars had uh, crashed together. And the the one thing I uh, took the neutron stars, by the way, if you don't know, they're super dense remnants of stars, usually about ten miles across, and a teaspoonful of neutron star material would weigh like a million tons or something. Or 10 million tons. Um, so they've collapsed and they created a black hole. But when they, uh, in the resulting explosion, they uh, created heavy elements, which is where all everything heavier than hydrogen and helium is being created in the explosions of stars, which is why, you know, we're all made of stars. Uh, but the amazing figure was that they created. Um, 10 Earths worth of gold, this explosion, which I thought, which I thought was quite incredible. All that, all that gold, 10 Earths worth. (laughs) That's a lot. It's a lot of gold, isn't it? Yeah. What are we going to do with it? I don't know. Do you know how much gold has ever been mined on Earth? No. About an Olympic swimming pool full. Really? Yeah. Oh, was about 160,000 tonnes worth. And this this is how many tonnes? Ten times the mass of the Earth. <laughs> <coughs> We've better so, set off, haven't we? Quite a few swimming pools, yeah. <laughs> that's going to really depress gold prices, though, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's my one piece of news this week. I've got, I, I use, um, i probably mentioned it before, I use Pocket to add all my kind of interesting things I see on the internet. Uh, for me to read later and everything I've added in the last week I haven't actually read yet <laughs> so uh, I've got you know lots of little articles but I can't really talk about them because I don't know anything about them yet so I'll come back next week yeah well I'm I'm going to skip my my news stories uh, skip um, science museum identity that's been a big brouhaha in the design field yeah. let's stay away from design world and um, we'll come back to that next week oh other than next week is half term so we would have missed it so those of you with kids there's an event on uh, at the moment called the big draw um which you can go visit their site at the big draw dot org um and i think this might be a worldwide thing i'd never really heard of it but i just saw it on a um i think it was on an apple store um but it's on all over the country Mm. Um, and especially at half term. So if you've got kids, there are loads of organized events where you can go and, uh, an illustrator or an artist will be there and, um, uh, help your kids do drawing. So for example, Winchester, my local, uh, city, uh, there's a drawing dragons event. Marvelous. You can take that look out of place if I pop down there. Yeah, no, I don't think so at all. Um, <laughs> uh, everyone has beards in Winchester. Um, Course. And uh, yeah, so uh, so look, go onto their site, look up, see what's going on, and take your kids along and teach them how to draw. Mm, cool, I like it. Uh, should we talk Blade Runner? Yes. So uh, if you've skipped into this bit um, because you're skipping our boring chat, um, then just delete this podcast from your. <laughs> Your feed, because that's all we do. Uh, but um, Blade Runner, we're going to talk plot. So if you haven't seen it, uh, then go and watch it. Um, and I'd like to say I'd urge you to go and see it. 
uh, is fantastic. Um, but uh, from this point forward, we will be talking about the plot. We will indeed. So, Blade Runner 2049, sequel to Ridley Scott's iconic, seminal 982 film, Blade Runner. Uh, and he's only produced this time, which I think we both agree is a good thing. Uh, so the reins were handed over to, the directing reins were handed over to uh, Denis or Denis Villeneuve. Uh, written by Hampton Fincher, just like the original. So I think uh, Dennis Villeneuve co-wrote uh, and Hampton Fincher wrote as well. Um, and it it catches up with with the story 30 years later. Not that the story needed, uh, the film needed um, completing. I think everyone thought it was a, a beautifully kind of captured moment really that, that didn't need I think, don't think anyone wanted a sequel I think people were fearful of a sequel as to you know how it might be ruined or over explained or simply a film made that just just didn't live up to the original but um, but Dennis Villeneuve certainly pulled it off I think didn't they? Incredibly so um, if we're talking about like why create a sequel um, when in a lot of people's mind it, it, it doesn't quite I mean it does have a cult, a cult it is a cult film, but it doesn't have that cultish kind of um, fanboyism or fangirlism that something like Star Wars has or that Superman or Star Trek has in, in terms of sort of legacy because Blade Runner was born from nothing. Uh, you know, a, a novel um, written in the fifties, was it? Yeah, so, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but had no sort of real legacy behind it. It hadn't been made before. It hadn't, you know, it wasn't featured in comic books or anything like that. Uh, it just sort of appeared fully formed and then disappeared again. It didn't, it didn't create any other films. It didn't create, you know, spin-offs or anything, anything like that really, did it? Uh, it there didn't. Was, there was some mention in that the alien universe was, was somehow connected with, with the Blade Runner universe. Yeah. There are mentioned, there are, there are uh, mentions of, the Tyrell Corporation in the Alien films and the a lot of the uh, kind of user interfaces on all the, the computers and things and the spinners and the spaceships in Alien are the same. Oh, right. That's a lot of people think that's just kind of a bit of an in joke. Ridley Scott just reusing. Yeah, or well, the art, you know. the AD, the art director, just yeah. like not having to pay for it again. It doesn't need a sequel. It doesn't have that desire, that kind of fanboy thing of like what you know stories are unresolved daughters, husbands, mm. whatever. The the cynical approach is that, you know, Ridley Scott's old and he's and he has been revisiting his most creative period because he, he likes to bang the films out um, and uh, and a lot of them are, are turds, aren't they? Yes. They are, they are these days. I think from his debut, The Duelists, up until Someone to Watch Over Me, maybe Black Rain. I don't think he, he put a foot wrong, really. Um... And then I think what came next, White Squall or Columbus 1492. And uh, and everything went a bit pear-shaped. Mm. And he's made some brilliant films since. But I don't think that first kind of batch of his films were just so beautifully visual. Um, <clears throat> that and Maybe he couldn't, you know, no director could have kept up that pace of creativity. Uh, you know, the other thing is... It- were they waiting for technology to c- catch up? The fact that 
I mean, one of the things about this film is that the scale of it is so massive. The sets are absolutely enormous, but that is CGI created, but it's yeah. it's seamless CGI. You have it no, is, you, you have no because they've added um, so much dust and grain and dirt to it. It's yeah. very hard to tell where set starts and CGI ends, which is is really unique, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, CGI is getting to the point where, you know, you can't really tell what's real anymore in films, but because of the content, you obviously know what is CGI. But this, because it's it's a subtler film, even though it's on a grand scale, you know, there aren't giant fighting robots or huge spaceships crashing to Earth. The, that line between what's real and what's CGI is is very blurred. Um, but the, the first film was was very intimate i mean you had the great big um overviews of la at night but apart from that it was <laughs> got a hungry cat in the background um but apart from that it was um it was quite an intimate film you know it was it was mostly kind of at street level in kind of very crowded streets or it was all interiors um so this is a very different film in in kind of the vistas really isn't it there's there's much less inside and it's even though you've still got that kind of grime and dirt of uh kind of slightly post-apocalyptic la it's it feels a, a more open um world to me. yeah uh, it's definitely wider but it still feels enclosed it still feels alien and um, the only <clears throat> natural part of the film is is in that sort of virtual reality um mm. a studio that we visit where yeah. um uh, there's someone photographing uh butterflies and you know in in a in a forest creating memories yeah creating memories but um but that's the only point we see any kind of natural world apart from mm. dead trees um, yes. or one central dead tree which is yeah. weird isn't it that the the tree actually jumping <laughs> wildly about the places I always do. But the tree he's very much like the tree in um, American Gods. Yeah, it is a bit. It's yeah. very Ragnarok. Kind of like the world tree. Yeah. But yeah, so we were we were talking about so why create a sequel? I mean well obviously the financial yeah. reason. Yeah, but you talk about it not it, it kind of the, the original Blade Runner not having kind of the baggage of some of the big films and not perhaps having the I don't know, but I think because Blade Runner has been so incredibly influential in pretty much every bit of sci-fi that has come since, I think in some ways there must have been a temptation to to do another one, to try and take back ownership of some of the the concepts and ideas. Do you think yeah. he'll have, there's a there's a temptation to think oh, you know all these films are so influenced by Blade Runner. It's that's kind of my film. You know, let me show them how it's done again. Yeah, well, uh, and I think that um, his sort of his you know the the many remixes of of the original film. I think that you you know the ones that it sandwiches the original one, the original cinema release, the one that I saw with my dad, um, smuggled in under his coat uh, in 1982. Was it yeah. the original? Yeah. Um, or maybe in 83 in the UK. I don't know. And then the the final director's cut which mm-hmm. I've seen uh, only just this year with my wife, 
they're very different films. <laughs> uh, they are. I mean, the, for anyone who hasn't seen them both, the, the big difference is the, the voiceover that you got in the original cinema release, the kind of noirish detective voiceover from Harrison Ford, um, was apparently a, a studio request, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, to kind of help explain things as it went along. And But it also it also completely skips the the replicant discussion. You know, uh, I had no idea until this year watching that one and talking to you that um that Deckard was possibly a replicant. Yeah. Yeah, when <laughs> I first saw it it never even occurred to me. No. Um, not and I was listening to a podcast today while walking the dog, um and it was uh Boag World, which is just a web design yeah, uh, thing and and they were talking about Blade Runner there and and Marcus uh, the the older guy on it was saying how he'd it was his favourite film ever and uh, it was only in uh, watching that film that it was the first time he'd realised that there might be <laughs> that Deckard might be a replicant yeah uh, so <coughs> that disco- that sort of myth um, permeates the second film doesn't it um, yeah and is is taken up and directly. Uh, handled straight away i mean it's in your face isn't it that uh it is the protagonist is not human yeah it's strange obviously the first film uh it's only right towards the end where you get a hint that perhaps deckard is a replicant and not human and in this film ryan gosling's character care is it's clearly stated right at the beginning that he's a replicant he's a replicant blade runner um, and it's and then it's through. It's only two or just sort of three quarters of the way through the film that you think, well, maybe he isn't. Uh, my pie has arrived. Thank you, dear. Yeah. Um, so they kind of those uh, those aspects of the stories are kind of turned on their heads in in either film, aren't they? Yeah. Which I liked. So going back to the sequel, uh, we're we're stuck on that, aren't we? Um, the the so the name uh, the the most awful part of the film i don't got any problems with it i mean it's just a name it doesn't bother me it does what it says on the tin okay i think i think it would have been uh trying too hard to come up with a another name and probably the studios wouldn't allow it because you need you need to sell the film on its heritage don't you you have to get everyone excited about it you know when i saw uh I went to see Dunkirk earlier this year and, and they had um, a 70 mil preview of the film, which strangely, the film isn't in 70 mil at all, was it? It was, mm. ju- it was just, we watched it on IMAX. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, didn't have the quality or the depth that um, Dunkirk yeah. had in any way. Um, but when the tra- when I saw the trailer, which kind of cuts it in a chase style Hollywood. Yeah, much you know, more actiony. Action film, which it is just no way... <laughs> like whatsoever which we'll come back to on the sort of the reception of it but um that 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 made me not want to watch it the name made me not want to see it um seeing harrison ford in his in a t-shirt <laughs> in it um where he was so cool in the first film and yes ryan gosling in this looks utterly beautiful throughout the whole film he's uh, magnificent in it uh, he is astonishingly good yeah, it just put me off wanting to watch the film. I, I, and I'm happily happy to say that, yes, it is a modern classic, it, without a doubt. It is unbelievably beautiful, brilliant, sounds incredible. The acting is fantastic. There are very, very few missteps in the film. 
I think I think one of the things that I liked about it, apart from the the visuals and the sound, which you know every, everything about it is great, but I liked a lot of the little references to the original film. Um, so I liked um, that whenever there was kind of surveillance or Gosling was using the computer, it referenced those that bit in the first film where Harrison Ford is zooming in on that photo and he's kind of saying, you know, enhance six zoom track right. And it's kind of nonsense. And they've kept that nonsense aspect of it um, for all those bits. You know, they haven't tried to uh, rationalize any kind of framework that Deckard was, was working to. And that, you know, the new bits are just as bizarre, you know, when the kind of the drone is zooming in on things. And you can't understand what the numbers mean or anything. So I thought that was great. Um, I thought it was great that Gaff, Edward James Olmos, was back in it. Um, and in the first film, in the director's cut, he makes a, a little origami unicorn, which is the bit that hints that he knows that Deckard is a replicant because Deckard dreams of a unicorn. And in this film, he shows K a sheep obviously is a reference to do androids dream of her electric sheep the original book so there's so many this yeah i think you could watch it again and again and and find all these little bits there's a bit in last a couple of bits in las vegas one where a, a wasp lands on k's art and another bit when he's in the in deckard's apartment in the vegas hotel and he picks up like a wooden tortoise and turns it over and looks at it and they're both referencing the the scenes with the Voigtkampf um, device. So he says, "You're in the desert. You see a turtle. You turn it on its back, and then you know you're in the a wasp lands on your arm." So it's really, and it's like he's referencing those things from the first film. And you have to think: is it part of the film? Is it a little? Is it just a little playful thing he's doing? Is there something about why those were referenced? It just makes you think so much. Wow! Did you uh, where did you, did you spot that watching the film? Yeah. Wow, you're clever. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't see anything like that, but that that is yeah, that is incredible. Um, well, actually, from the name, trying to make trying to set, make sense of the name, um, it was only um, thinking that we are episode sixty four. So I was thinking sixty four bit, and then. Uh, if you times that by eight, uh, no, if you times that by 32, so 32 bits, you get 2048. Uh Um, and 2049 is kind of a byte number plus one. And the film is about one more, isn't it? About the fact that you've got a robot race and then suddenly one more or, or one more, uh, incremental improvement to, um, to a robot. Let's go for the story. Let's okay. just dive in there. Okay, so the replicants um, in this film, the Blade Runners who hunt uh, stray replicants, are they're still hunting them down, which is kind of strange because you kind of get that feeling in the first film that it's almost finished. Yeah. Um, but they are replicants themselves, but they're openly seen as uh, as robots. He doesn't meet any other... Blade Runner in the film, apart from the retired Jack, what's his name? Gaff. Gaff. Uh, who makes a weird declaration that he was partners with Deckard. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I, well, I wonder if that's Ollie Moss has this great. I think I've mentioned it before. He has this great theory that Deckard Deckard's memories are based on gaffes. So Gaff has been injured, can no longer do the job. You know, he can kind of basically just wanders around, doesn't he, limping? But he knows about Deckard's dreams of unicorns, and maybe that's because they're his dreams. And also, Deckard doesn't drive, it doesn't fly himself anywhere. Gaff does all the flying. So it's almost as if, like, maybe replicants aren't allowed to use the flying cars. Deckard only drives his on the ground. So maybe that's what he's he's referencing. You know, maybe when he says we were partners, kind of, you know, super close partners in that they're the same person, just one's real and one's not. Mm. So in the film, it's implied that uh, two replicants have got together and somehow um, they've been given the ability to procreate. And the tension in the film is between mainly the police chief who represents uh, at first you think kind of uh, normal human behavior. But um, as the film goes on, she's more and more, well, she's quite fascist, isn't she? In in her thinking and very cold and very um, lacking in humanity. It's actually all the the robots who have sometimes inadvertent, but at least they have human qualities. So for example, Gosling's the most human thing in it. Yeah. And, and and the killer, um, the killer robot who is, um, love. Yeah. Who's Anna de Armas, the actress. Um, but whenever she's about to kill somebody, she just can't help crying. Um, there's no emotion with it, but the tears come, don't they? Mm. Um, so yeah, so you've got these, uh, these robots who are very feeling and very emotional in the film, but all the humans around them are so numb. So, lacking in any core humanity the replicants now obviously these nexus nines they do as they're told they don't have free will do they which is why they can be used as a a blade runner or a servant they just they do as they're told and they're hunting down the older replicants that didn't have that so maybe the 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 humans are are, i've just got used to treating them like you know non-thinking slaves well, I think they would do, wouldn't they? And, uh, mm. and uh, but the the threat of this new uh, the evolution of uh, suddenly being able to procreate puts the uh, absolute heebie-jeebies into the uh, Robin Wright's police chief, who yeah. who, as I say, represents kind of uh, the ruling class. And it's weird that the the character, if we took the planet Earth as a character as a sci-fi film, Earth is the alien world. There's this unknown sort of the off, off stage world, which is off world, where yeah. you kind of see the rest of the humanity's gone. You know, it's kind of um, a Wally kind of moment that the world yes. that's left is, 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 is the alien place. And the real life or what we perceive as real life is actually happening somewhere else. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. No, I was just going to say that's talked about a lot in the book. But again, it's like in in the films it's not really described it talks an awful lot about the off-world colonies and kind of getting lottery tickets to 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 get a chance to go or whether or not your genetics are good enough to go the decade in the in the book isn't i don't think he's healthy enough or fit enough to go even though it turns out eventually he's a, a replicant so the you know it's like the detritus detritus of humanity is is left on earth uh neander wallace 
is is a strange character in the film. He doesn't have as big a part, uh, Jared Leto, as I thought he would. So he's the creator of this new brand of replicants that do as they're told. He's basically uh, bought the remnants of the Tyrell Corporation um, and has improved upon Tyrell's creation. Um, but he's a he's kind of a strange, half-blind, or slightly mystical figure, isn't he? Who's, who his his goal is to is to create life or create replicants that can breed, which is why he's hunting for this mystery of uh, of the the child born to two replicants. He's a, he's a bit of a dick, isn't he? I mean, he's like um, yeah. it reminded me of Ex Machina, yes, Alex Garland film that came out. Uh, three or yeah. four years ago, um, Caleb Smith, I think the yeah. chap's called there. Um, exactly, you know, almost identical character, sort of slightly um, god syndromes. Yeah, reclusive. What did you? What film did you refer to this as? Very similar to Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. So the chap who lives in the middle of the jungle. What's his name? Uh, Colonel Kurtz. Yeah, he very very similar, hasn't he? He's created a society that is trained to. And bend to his will. Yeah, absolutely. But all of them that are doing the killing, apart from him, they have more moral obligations than he does. Yeah. I, I think, that, what did you think of his performance in it? Because it, it has been called into question, hasn't it? Well, there was such a curious character. I don't really think you can fault his performance. It was He was just a strange character. I assume that was the way it was written. He, he had a couple of, uh, you know, speeches where he talked mm. about, um, it was almost sort of like, a Hitler kind of speech of, uh, yes. of creating a master race and creating a, an imperial army. He sounded like an emperor out of Star Wars or something. Yeah, um, he wants to create millions of replicants, doesn't he? And he, yeah. he can't build them fast enough, so he needs them to be able to breed. But it's weird that he's sort of living in this kind of womb-like structure where mm. this these plastic bags come out of the ceiling and these, you know, the replicants fall out. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, but he feels that he's got the control over them so much that he can kill them whenever he wants. If yeah. they were that valuable, he wouldn't be killing them, would he? Yeah. <laughs> Just to make an example to another robot. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, it seems strange. And um, what about Harrison Ford in this? Where, in fact, in the film, he's he's only he only appears very very briefly. He's not. He's not. Yeah, a main, he's not. A- it, it's made in the uh, the trailers, you know, to feel like he's in most of the film. That it's kind of yeah, like he's a really in the last half an hour, isn't he? Really? Yeah, but he did feel like a bit like um, uh, Homer Simpson's dad. <laughs> he, yeah, he was a grumpy bugger, wasn't he? Yeah, they'd been but, wheeled out, and uh, uh, he didn't do he didn't do it or add an an awful lot to the narrative of the film, whether whether him being there or not. Let's cut to the the crux of it because I want to know what you think. Um, so it turns out that the child was born to Deckard and Rachel from the first film. And Rachel dies in childbirth and her bones are found. Um, so you think Rachel was pretending to be Tyrell's niece in the first film. So she was obviously special to Tyrell and she didn't have a, a lifespan like the others. Um, but then obviously Deckard didn't either. Because he's still around, he didn't have a, you know, uh, what's it talked about? Um, uh, the Methuselah syndrome that J.F. Sebastian has. Um, accelerated decrepitude, he calls it in the first film. So he doesn't have that. So why is Deckard special? Where's he come from? So that's not answered, is it? 
No, was he created somehow to... Just with that one thing in mind? To create another another human being or another replicant. Yeah, but if that was the case, surely Terrell could have just made... Put them together. Yeah. He didn't need to play the long game and wait for Deckard to come and investigate and then fall in love. You know, I think sometimes these filmmakers don't really take it that far. (laughs) I don't think they join all the dots. Well, it's weird because I came out of this film thinking how ambiguous a lot of it was and i think that was a lot of the same in the first film and i wonder how much ambiguity is is on purpose and how much is just essentially plot holes or you know kind of missteps by the director or the writers or bits that they just didn't you know couldn't be bothered explaining but that's a beautiful thing about good art isn't it yeah that, that absolutely it doesn't try and uh, it doesn't um prescribe what it's trying to say all the better for it. I yeah, mean, absolutely. The the f- of some of Ridley Scott's later films, yeah. the, the Alien sequels, in that he's, you know, he's trying to explain everything or kind of get to a point of having explained everything. And you just don't need to. No, absolutely not. And there are a few moments in the film where the dialogue turns to, you know, prescription. Uh, it, it doesn't benefit from it at all. Uh, in the, you know, what it does benefit from is a very glacial, slow pace. Um, and what's really interesting is that Ryan Gosling's character, Kay, his, uh, he just, he's on rails in terms of his detection of the, you know, of the, the rather formulaic, um, noirish plot. Mm. Um, he doesn't really have to do a whole, lot of hard work because he's a robot he yeah. can he can do things like go through a million records and yeah. see flaws in dna um he you, you just sort of travel through this kind of linear arc with him don't you but it's you very very slow as he kind of comes to terms with the fact that um that he might be the progeny progeny of uh of a miracle uh but it actually turns out that he isn't. And that that's one of the most uh, moving parts of the film. The, that, that gives him the most human quality of any of the characters. Yeah. This kind of... Um, Sense uh, of loss. Yeah, his, yeah, exactly. Yeah, his, uh, his, um, he's going through... Uh, uh, he's mourning, isn't he? For the fact that he's not actually... Yes. ...human. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible film. The pace of it was, was one of the other things that reminded me of Apocalypse Now. The kind of slow unraveling of the story um, and the depth of it and the, the kind of complexity of the characters and the ambiguity of it all really reminded me of Apocalypse Now. And I think in terms of, you know, you said how good it was. I think in terms of the quality of a, an act of filmmaking, it's it's up there with Apocalypse Now. It's almost faultless. Uh, did you Have you seen Citizen Kane? Yes. So you know the the scene where he's um he's got this sort of this creature this thing that he hides away in a furnace um yes and he's also called K I found there were really weird parallels in that moment um with the fire and the yeah and the toy um yeah I hadn't thought of that actually yeah uh, um so any other what other references were because there were lots of filmic references in it I don't I think most of the ones I found were, were references to the original film. I mean, obviously there's references to Kafka's The Trial. The, uh, Agent K, at one point, he's given the name Joe, so Joseph K from The Trial. Right. Um, 
Well, yeah, what else did you see? I think the bar, the the Shining, uh, Kubrick, yes. when they're in um, Las Vegas, there's this yeah. real. Um, what's the name of that hotel in the film? I can't remember. The Overlook. But that that place where um, where Deckard is holed up is very reminiscent of Kubrick, and the lighting goes very. Uh, Kubrickian, can I say that without yeah, being shot from a yeah. sniper? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, the, the, yeah, that that part of the film was really reminiscent of Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Um, and you you mentioned that AI was was yes tagged so a bit. AI, in. the film directed by Spielberg, but written and planned by Kubrick. Um, I think there's some kind of very obvious references to that with the this kind of giant female statues in the desert. Yeah, and that's also um, reminiscent of uh, of Planet of the Apes, isn't it? Of the the fallen mm. Statue of Liberty. Yeah, oh, I absolutely loved it. I I desperately want to see it again. And the other thing that I asked you about is every time Kay has this kind of holographic uh, AI. Yeah, did you find out what that was? No, and I can't. I haven't been able to find anything about it. Every time he kind of activates it, or he's this this kind of device is turned on or off, whatever, you get this chime like you like a startup chime that you get on a mac or a pc or whatever um and it really reminded me of something and i can't think what i need to hear the sound again yeah that's what one of the reasons i need to go see it again you could you could buy you could buy a a google pixel 2 and then yes tell you what it is it would wouldn't it yeah good reason are you a replicant might be who knows Mm. I do dream of animals quite a lot. Often That's because there's a cat sitting on your head. Yeah, you know. often penguins, though. So really? I don't know what that says about me. Yeah. I'm a, I must learn to make an origami penguin, I think, now. Uh, yes. But there you go. To sum up, bloody brilliant. Yeah, really, really loved it. Um, hope you enjoyed it, too. And uh, let us know what you thought. Yeah. If you're out there. Absolutely. So um, is there a website of the week? Uh, no, the only thing, the the website of the week that I have to talk about is um, uh, doing my research on the history of printing. Uh, I didn't know this existed and it blew my mind. There are two versions of Caxton's, uh, William Caxton, we're talking here, so from 15, whenever, uh, produced two versions of Chaucer. Um, they've both been scanned in by the British Library and you can compare them side by side. Uh, and uh, it really made me a bit tearful. Oh. Why? Why do you need to compare them? Well, you can just see how he changed them because oh, okay. uh, the, or, or how just how they looked. Cause the first ones doesn't have any. Uh, I think I'm getting this right. One doesn't have wig cuts, and the next one does, uh, or there any vice pictures? versa. Yes, that's what I mean. So some of them have wood cuts. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I didn't hear. What you yeah, mean. they're beautiful. So they they were the first typeset books in English, um, and um, they were interspersed with woodcut. Uh, drawings and Caxton um, fixed English language um, from a kind of a very because uh, it was a non courtly language. Um, he kind of started uh, the uh, I guess the uh, the freezing of it as a proper language. So taking out colloquialisms from regional accents, making it making English uh, a London based language um, because whatever words he decided to translate from French became. Uh, the vernacular, oh, cool. because his book was so uh, widely distributed. But yeah. uh, it's a beautiful thing to look at. So it's in the British Library. Go and have a look. Marvelous. 
Pies. Pie? Yeah. What have you got? Oh, God. My wife's book. Another Higgity. <laughs> is she on commission? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, this one is a, uh, it's a limited edition one. Thank God. Uh, is it an actual pie? Yes, it is. It's got, well, yeah. So it's got like a scotch pie edge and then a puff pastry top. And it's a slow cooked beef and chili. And they say to serve it with a salsa. And I say they should, <laughs> they should, they should die. Because <laughs> no pie should be served yeah. with a salsa. Good God, no. Um, pastry's quite nice. Flaky on top. Um, it's got red peppers in it. And the beef's okay. It's kind of like a chili con carne in a pie. Oh. Which isn't massively unpleasant. But it's also why. Why, why is... Yeah, a little curious. So I'm going to give that a five. Five, okay. Uh, I have got a chicken and ham pie from the Windsor Farm Shop. Uh, flaky pastry, nice and crisp. It was It was usually when you buy pies, they're actually cooked already, aren't they? And you're just heating them up. But this was entirely raw. The pastry was entirely uncooked. Mm. I think you can tell that in the pastry. It's really tasty. Mm. Maybe a smidgen under-seasoned. But pretty good. Nice and moist. Not too soupy. And nice and crisp. Um, hang on, just need another. God. <laughs> just whole thing in. Um, all right, that's going to get seven and a half. Yeah, and I'll just finish my beer. It's a good drop, that, from the Stroud Brewery. Tom Long Amber Bitter. And it's organic. Well, praise the Lord. Absolutely. <clears throat> So, do you think? Did you talk about everything you wanted to talk about, or were there lots of other things? We could have talked about the film for a long time. I think, uh, really, you know, it's just amazing. <laughs> you know, it's not very eloquent, but it's an incredible film. Yeah, I think I'd sum up by saying that it leaves enough holes for uh, um, that really great sci-fi fiction. Yeah, does well uh, in the fact that you can you can fill it in yourself, or you can just leave it. And it doesn't really matter. And I think that films like Star Wars and all those other ones don't do that because they try and just fill so much of the the emptiness with guff. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't. Yeah, a bit like 2001. It doesn't explain everything. You can come out now if you haven't seen the film. We've stopped talking about it. Yeah. And they all uh, died. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Apart from Biggins. <laughs> uh, what you got planned for the rest of the week, John? Uh, well, it's Thursday night, so yeah, not a lot. Yeah. Uh, just working tomorrow, and uh, and then the weekend chores. Okay. Seeing a man about a bathroom. What are you up to? Right. Uh, short days tomorrow. Wedding on Saturday, and then I'll be finishing off the BBC project I've been working on over the weekend. All the best with it. Yeah, you too. Have a good weekend. You too. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. So, right. Bye. Bye.